read the scriptures and then we're going to go into prayer for a whole bunch of people. We're going to read the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, but we're going to primarily focus on verses 13 to 16 today. But we're going to read all 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. You may be seated as we go into prayer. Father, as we gather before you and we just collect our thoughts and and open up our hearts to you, um, I want to lift up to you all of those folks that are on our continued prayer list from Kathy to Taj to Ann and Lauren and and Joe and his entire family, the issues that they deal with. Father, you know what they are. We, We all know what they are. We pray that you would just continue to bring healing and comfort and peace Lord, and understanding in the midst of struggles and trials. We thank you, Lord, that those folks are, are just continuing to trust you in, in the journey that you have them on. We pray your peace be upon them. Lord, that your name would be glorified in all things. Father, I want to lift up other folks here within this body as well who are struggling, who aren't on our prayer list, but they are dealing just with family struggles and issues and trying to figure out the things that they're supposed to do and where you're at work and all of those things, trusting you all along the way. I pray that you would encourage those folks today and all the more as we see that day approach. Pray that you would make yourself known. Lord, that your name would be glorified and that we would see Jesus in everything. Help us, Lord, to grow in that knowledge and that grace that comes from walking the way we should. Even sometimes when it hurts going down roads that we need to go, I pray that you would encourage them and encourage us all. Father, for those who are serving in the military, for Brady, for Jonathan, for Zach, for Aaron, for Anthony, and all of those other folks who are standing on the front lines, wherever they may be, in their vocation and in their calling, Lord, they allow us to be free. May we not make a mockery of the freedom that is given to us. May we understand the responsibilities that we have that come inherently with the rights that have been given to us. But those rights are not free. 
any more than our salvation is free. I thank you for those who serve in the military, who have found that their calling in life is to defend the freedoms that we have. I pray that you would watch out for them, for their families, and that we would not dishonor their service to this country because we are called in your word to be good citizens. Pray for those who are leading our country at a time such as this. I pray that the, the infantile behavior that we see every day by those who are supposed to lead us in a good way, Father, that you would strengthen them to grow up, that you would strengthen them, Lord, to put aside all of this foolishness. Lord, that you would encourage them, you would remind them that it is your providence that has put them there to lead us to watch over us, to take care of us as, as your people and as those who live in this country as citizens. Pray, Father, that we would be earnestly seeking your face every single day, not for our own particular corner of the world and what it is we want, but that the wisdom that comes from above we poured out upon these people who are supposed to lead us. I pray your hands be upon them. Lord, that you would speak to them that they would be encouraged, that they would step into doing the right things, no matter what the cost. And Father, that we as the church would stand that ground for your sake, not for our own sake, not for our own desires and not for our own personal preferences, but that we would stand the prophetic ground for your sake that says Jesus is already King and Lord, and anybody that rules and anybody that governs is there only because God the Father said so. And it is our duty to pray for them, to encourage them, and to hold them accountable when they need to be held accountable. Pray, Lord, that you open up your word today and teach us all of these things. Some of them are hard, some of them are easy. But, Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If we run to you and we hold on to the truths that we find in the scripture, even in our struggles, even in our worrying, even in our wondering about what tomorrow is going to bring. We have a settled peace of knowing that Jesus sits on the throne of the universe. And it is in him that we place our faith. And it is in him that we trust, no matter what goes on here. Open up your word this morning, Lord. Speak to each and every one of us. We pray all of these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, I started out with titling this message, No Longer Children. I ended titling this message, No Longer Children, Part 1. Uh, perhaps it's because I'm long-winded. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that if we tackle the Scriptures the way we should tackle the Scriptures, um, and as we've been learning, that there's so much there that we can walk ourselves through in light of how it is we are to work out our salvation every day with fear and trembling. And we are going to do our best here in the time that we have uh, to go over simply three verses, verses 13 to 16 in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and I found that I already talked too fast. Um, to talk faster would be unproductive, and it would be foolish. I have until Jesus takes me home, takes us all home, or something else occurs along the way. So we decided to split it into two weeks so that we could really take a look at what this is. Because when we tackle this particular chapter, these first 16 verses, we've been talking about the theme of unity, ministry, and maturity, and how that all works out in the individual and then within the body of believers, wherever it is God sets us down and knits us together. We have to understand that um, 
those are three huge topics. Uh, unity is difficult at best. Ministry, depending on what it is and who you are and what your confidence level is and where it is God has set you down, becomes a challenge in and of itself. Where do I fit in? Where can I work these things out? And God, what do you have me to do? Because I can't do everything. I shouldn't do everything. I should be doing something, but I can't do everything. Those two components put together drive us to maturity. But if we have any one of those out of whack, we, we, we never really get to where it is God has us to be. Um, so the unity of the body, um, the ministry of the saints for the edification of the body grows us to maturity. And we're going to see that today as we begin to map these things out. But we're going to run headlong into ourselves again. We're going to run headlong into ourselves, which is always what? Our biggest problem. Okay, when we take a look at this. and What we really want to focus on this morning is that the unity of the body being active, being active in its ministry, will lead to spiritual maturity. It's a biblical truth. It's not something I came up with. That's the pattern that Paul gives us. That's what it's at. And when that is happening, when the body is functioning together, and it is functioning together in a right manner, that will produce healthy, well-discipled Christians, who in turn will produce healthy, well-discipled Christians, who then in turn will, guess what, produce healthy, well-discipled Christians. That's how it is we together venture down the road of being a Christian and helping to grow lifelong followers of Jesus who are launched out into the world to be light in a dark place. We have to remember that we are called for a purpose. And it isn't to sit down somewhere in a corner and take a look at our belly buttons and hope that Jesus takes us to heaven. That will happen, but he needs to be finding us doing what it is we're called to do. So let's dig in. Because for anyone who has children those of you that do, you know that the day they're brought home from hospital when they are born, they are the most helpless creatures on planet Earth. Nobody more helpless than a newborn child. And one of the things that I find fascinating is that their heads are always a little bit too big. It's true. I mean, you think about it for a minute, all right? They got no idea what it is to do with this little bobble-headed thing sitting on those shoulders and all that. Just this really big head. They have no idea what it is to do to get what it is they want except to do what? Cry. Okay? They make a lot of noise because that's how they talk to you. They're hungry. What do they do? They cry. They have gas. What do they do? They cry. They mess their diaper. What do they do? They cry. Why? Because that's the only thing they know how to do. The most helpless creatures on planet Earth. The most helpless creatures on planet Earth. They need constant care and they need constant nurturing just to keep them alive. Because they're just not going to make it from Monday to Tuesday if mom and dad aren't paying attention to what's going on. And as any parent knows in the whole grand scheme of things, the goal is never to keep that little one a little one, is it? No, my granddaughter Junebug is a fat little thing. All right? She wasn't small when she was born, but the goal isn't to keep her little. The goal is never to keep them as infants. She's sitting up now. She wears daddy's army hat. She's in her little chair and all of that. It's a beautiful thing. And, I, you know, I talk about my grandkids and my kids and my family because it's all I got. If I talk about you, I have to ask for forgiveness. But so there it is, moving on. We have to be enjoying little kids. We don't want them to stay little. The natural progression is to actually grow a healthy child. We don't want to bring a kid home and, and sit there and go, oh, how do we keep this thing from breaking? No, we want to grow a healthy child, and we want to do so with that child in order that they turn into a healthy adult, a healthy adult who, with God's help, leaves your house, leaves and goes out into society and becomes a productive, productive member of society. 
and a productive member of the culture using their gifts in the way it is God has gifted them. And that's just, it's simply enough. It's a simple enough thought, though, isn't it? It's, just, it's real easy. How many of you are moms? It, just, it seems to come natural to you that this is what you're going to do. Okay, dads. All right, let's not forget the dads out here. All right, if you're not doing what a dad's supposed to do, we'll have a class for that also. But that's for another time. Because mom and dad tag teaming. Mom and dad tag teaming, I would hope, in the effort to grow this little one and teach them what they need to know to be healthy and successful. It's a team effort. We don't ever leave them to fend for themselves, do we? We don't ever let them play in the street where trucks run, do we? Especially if you're not running for mom or dad of the year award. It's not going to be helpful at all. That would be unwise to say the least. Why? Because it's our job to make sure that they grow healthy. Yeah, I discovered in my life that when it comes to Christian maturity, to the healthy growth, not only of the individual Christian, but ultimately of the community of believers, somewhere along the way, we seem to think that it's going to function differently than growing a little child at home. We seem to think that it just happens because of the blessings of the Holy Spirit and everything falls into place and all of that stuff takes care of itself. But you see, Paul didn't think so. He didn't think so at all. In fact, here in our text this morning, he makes that analogy when he says that rather speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, into Christ. And there is that speaking the truth in love again. But it's done so with what? With purpose. With purpose. That we grow into Christ. Not that I become more like, you know, Adam or, or Brian becomes more like Tim, but that we all grow up into Christ. That's the goal. Being like him in all that we do through the power of his Holy Spirit is what we are called for. Now, I remember all of my children being born. I actually do. It's as scary as that seems. And I'm very confident that Lisa remembers those times as well, probably more so than I do. But the doctor and the nurses would always look at us when they're handing us this little bundle of joy. Make sure you do what? Support the head. You don't grab them by the feet and kind of walk over to the bed and go, hey, how you doing? Support the head. Make sure you're taking care of that. Because again, the head is just a little bit too big for that little body of theirs. It's something they have to do what? They have to grow into You know, you take a look at this little kid that's 7 pounds, 12 ounces, and about 6 pounds, 2 ounces of it's their brains. It's the operating system. And they have to grow up into that. It's something they have to do before they can hold it up on their own. The muscles need to be strengthened. Their body needs to be developed. They need help. How simple of an analogy it is here that Paul gives us. He isn't giving us some cosmically deep teaching here that we're going to pontificate for the next 40 years trying to figure out about what it is he's saying. Instead, he is telling us that our growth in Christ is just like raising a healthy baby. It's really that simple, and it's that complicated. Now, Lisa and I always had a saying when we were raising our kids that we aren't raising children because that's the wrong way to look at things. We're raising children adults we aren't trying to raise kids we want to raise the children that god has given us and god has blessed us with but we want to do so into adulthood so we're not raising kids we're raising adults 
They may be children in our house, but that's the goal. We had to think in that way in order to achieve the goal that we had of raising children up into adulthood and releasing them into the world. God help everybody. And that was the whole goal. That was the goal. That's what we have to do. We have to think that way. We're raising adults. Prayerfully, with all of the bumps and bruises along the way, they launch into the world healthy and mature. Now, there's always hiccups along the way, are there not? Anybody who has kids, there's hiccups along the way. Every one of us in here at one point was a kid. And we gave our parents hiccups along the way. Probably nightmares, some of us as well. But it's bumpy along the way, but the goal is healthy, mature adults. And that never happens by accident, does it? Never happens by accident. Anyone who has kids of their own, or if you're responsible as a teacher or a coach or a mentor or whatever it is, you know that in order for a child to get to mature adulthood requires a lot of work on the part of someone else, not on the part of that child. You see, we discovered last week that God knew, as God always does, that the church needs help to grow into what it is he wants us to be which is why verse 11 and 12 last week were so clear. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So again this week, we need to see that God has given these people. They don't choose. God has given these people. And he gave them with a purpose. We spent more than enough time, I'm sure many of you think that, more than enough time on that last week, covering what their functions were, what their purpose is, as well as clearing up who some of these folks are and what they perhaps look like and don't look like in this day and age. Mapped all of that out. And we're going to continue with the logical focus in this particular passage of local congregations, because that's where the majority of churches are now. Local congregations just like ourselves, and how we as one of them are addressed in this text. That's where we need to start. That means then that this pastor-teacher thing or shepherd-teacher thing is in view. I can't encourage you enough. I do every week. Get into the scriptures. Open your Bibles. Don't hope that you just figure it out on your own. Open the scriptures. Read them, especially the pastoral letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus. Why do I say that? Because you see, Paul there fleshes out these things that he gives bullet points for here. All of the practical teachings in a much deeper way not least of which is the definition of the structure of leadership within the local congregation and what their purpose is for the local church to lead and to create a healthy community of believers where God has planted them. So Paul fleshes that out in all of those letters. And the beauty, once again, of Scripture is that we aren't left to grope around in the dark to try and figure out what we're supposed to do and who we are. We overcomplicate it because a lot of times, frankly, we don't like what it says. So we overcomplicate it, or we ignore it, or we try to make it say something it doesn't say. See, it's what happens when we go to places we shouldn't go with a text. When we try to read into a text something that's not there. When we try to make it say something we want it to say that it doesn't say in order that we can be comfortable with what it actually does say. We have to be careful not to do that. And that's always dangerous, as Paul's going to make very clear for us as we move forward in this. The saints aren't equipped for nothing. They're equipped for a purpose. In fact, they are equipped for what? The works of ministry. And they are done so for specific reasons. Now, not everybody does the same thing. Everybody is gifted in a different way, remember. 
So don't think that we all got to line up and we all got to be one big eyeball. That's not the way it works and that's not what Paul's talking about. We are all equipped at whatever level God has gifted us in to function as best as we can where God has planted us. And Paul gives them to us and they're going to be what we unpack for the next, I don't know, 30 minutes or so and then next week as well. All of these things that he gives for us in a nice clear outline. And they're important for us if we're going to grow in a healthy way where God has planted us. Because Paul says... In verse 13 of chapter 4, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now that's one verse in chapter 4. We could spend the next two, three, or four weeks tearing all of this apart. We won't, but we could. We have what we need here, though. The goals of what Paul is trying to map out for us, as it were. The things that we're all supposed to grow up into right in front of us and how that works itself out. Number one, we are to grow up into what? The unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. That's the goal of the local congregation. Number two, knowledge of the Son of God. Right there in the text. That's the second thing we're supposed to. How do we do that? We are taught. We listen to pastors. We listen to teachers. We read our scriptures. We pray. We confirm. We verify. We study. We continue to get into the scriptures. The knowledge of the Son of God. What does that do? We are to, our goal is part and parcel to be mature Christians. Growing into manhood. No longer being a child with a big old bobblehead. But growing up into manhood as a mature Christian. Why? Because all of that leads to number four, the knowledge of God's Son, Jesus our Lord and King. That's all packed right in that verse right there, verse 13. Now, what is the end game of God for every Christian? Anybody know? Romans 8, 29, that we be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That's the end game right here. We know that for all things, verse 28, for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now listen, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. The goal of God for everybody who follows Jesus is that we be conformed to the likeness of his son. Not that Pastor Mike is more like Andy, but that both Andy and Pastor Mike are conformed to the likeness of his son. That is the goal for every one of us. It's a clear outline that Paul gives for us in this one verse. Let's not overcomplicate what Paul makes incredibly simple for us. Right there, four points. Plain things are main things, remember. Plain things are main things. So that means that the main things are always going to be very plain for us. We don't have to go rooting around in in the hedges, as it were, trying to find what it is we need to know. What Paul has given to us, while very plain is complicated enough as it is without us overcomplicating it. It's complicated enough without us overcomplicating it. We have to figure out how this works within our walks without us trying to make it more difficult than it is because it's already tough enough in the presence and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It is for me. It is for me. We have to be working on these things in our lives and here in our community of believers in order that we, number one, not remain children. And number two, that we not be tossed about like a boat on a windy lake, sucked in by weird and false doctrines, all pushed about by the craftiness of human beings who want to take off down paths that deceive, trick, and lead us in the wrong direction. So the two key things. We don't want to be children. 
We need to be mature. Otherwise, the second thing that we need to do, not be tossed about. Now, I know on that, the whole tossed about thing before we moved on, because we're going to expand on that next week. In order to get folks to take off down paths we ought not to go, what happens? There's always an element of truth in whatever teaching that's being taught, isn't there? There always is some element of truth. It's always an element of truth couched and packed in some nicely spiritualized truth. That's, that's how it is. And then we, we kind of sell it and package it that way. After all, who on earth would take off down a road after a blatant, obvious lie? Only a fool. Only a fool. Enemy is always going to take the teaching of Scripture and use it in a twisted way. Taking the good, clear teaching of God and couching it within things which do not belong, don't make any sense, are deceitful, and end up being divisive. They take what is good and they make it bad. Satan himself is not a very bright individual, although he's far more intelligent than every one of us in this room. He's not a bright guy. He doesn't invent new things. He just twists what God says is good, leaving just enough truth in it so that somebody can look at it and go, hmm, I don't know. This is why God gave to the church the gifts of these men to make sure that we all stay the course. So one, don't stay children. We cannot be children. You see, immature people always seek to get and have their way. Your kids, think about it. Just That's why the analogy works, right? Just keep that in your mind. Immature people always seek to get and have their way. You have to be doing exactly what they want, have to be doing exactly what they think, or you're wrong. Kids are fun when they're in that kind of attitude, aren't they? That's why the good Lord gave us doors. They hyper-focus on particular things because that's what they're all about. I want Legos today. And it doesn't matter if the world's coming to end. I want my Batman Legos. And that's all that matters. Hyper-focusing on one particular thing. That's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of immaturity. Like a stubborn child who doesn't really care about the overarching narrative within the entire family unit. It's all about them. It's all about what they want. It's all about what excites them and gets them out of bed in the morning. That's what I want. Paul teaches that we are to grow beyond that in our Christian walk. That's the goal. Not to stay that way. What is the chief end of man? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and worship him daily. What is God's goal for us as his people? to conform us to the image of his son. It's kind of cool how that goes together, huh? That's the ultimate goal of who we are. This is all accomplished when we grow and we operate within the framework that he has set each of us down in. We are all different, uniquely gifted to be different. But as we grow in that framework, we become a healthy and vibrant part of the body. Now, in relation to the gifts which he gives to us, we sometimes get stuck on them. Not just the offices, but the gifts. What I find happening is that we forget that these offices and the gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians and all of this other stuff, we forget that those things aren't an end in and of themselves. You want to be infilled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Nobody ever talks about that, but they drag you up to the altar in order that you can get baptized so you can have tongues. It becomes about the gift as opposed to the power to witness. So the gifts are not an end in and of themselves, although they are important. They are ordained by God with a purpose and a calling to lead, 
to teach, and to grow the body to maturity. That's what this is. It's almost as though we seek to have a title or a particular gift so we can wear the little badge around, you know, like everybody gave you a humble party and you put the humble button on. Then they take it away from you because you wore it, so you just don't have it anymore. We've got to be careful that that's not what we're looking to do, making that the most active thing in our life because it becomes most important. A commentator puts it this way. Sometimes when the church debates the nature of different offices and ministries, we never do that. But occasionally it happens. You get the impression that these things exist for their own sake, as though the main point of being a church in the first place was that certain people would be special within it, as if I'm looking for job security. That's not what we're about. The opposite is the case. That's what Paul's preaching here. The opposite is the case. The main point of certain people having special roles is so that every single Christian and the church as a whole may be equipped for their work of service. The gospel ministry means ultimately that we die to ourselves. I surrender all. Beautiful song to pick. I don't know if you knew this was coming, but it fits perfect. The gospel ministry means that we ultimately die to ourselves in order that we are being conformed to the image of Christ and ultimately serving and living for others in this world. That's the goal of Scripture. Now, we don't like that. I don't like that because that's real complicated. I don't want to die to myself any more than anybody else does. But it's something we get our feet over the edge of the bed in the morning and that's what we have to shoot for. These offices are essential, but not just to be an office. Rather, they are for the growing of people toward unity and ministry, which leads ultimately to maturity, which is what verse 16 tells us. From whom the whole body, talking about Jesus, joined and held together by every joint which, is equi- which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, it's not simply that each part is working here, but that it's being done properly. We can all be a bunch of busy bees, but if we aren't doing it properly, we're missing the mark. We don't grow properly. If I feed my infant child Big Macs every day, it's not going to be productive. But I'm giving them food. See, Paul's letter to the Corinthians is very helpful here if we want to see this more clearly. The Corinthian church was one of the most gifted churches in the time of Paul, most especially in the area of the giftedness of getting it wrong. They were unbelievably gifted. They were equipped for ministry, but they lacked the unity of the Spirit, and therefore they were grossly immature as a church. And Paul, I'm convinced, the thorn in his flesh was the Corinthian church. I I can't prove that, but that's just my guess. Okay? I leave both of those letters for you to read if you desire to. I think it would be a good thing. But Paul says to them in chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and 2, "...but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh." And the analogy here again, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now, you're not ready yet. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Well, read on in verses 3 and 4, because as a good pastor and father in the Lord, he tells them why. Because as any parent knows, that's what we are called to do in love with a purpose if we are going to raise healthy kids. He says, you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, oh boy, doesn't that always crop up in all of our lives? For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? 
Why do you think Paul wrote such detailed instructions on interpersonal relationships to these people and detailed instructions on the gifts which edify the body in both of the letters that he wrote to them? Why? Because they were so self-focused and self-absorbed, feeling that who they followed, that verse that we had, plus in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 and 13, they feeling that the gifts that they had been given by the Holy Spirit and how they felt their particular area of gifting was the utmost important to the church and they would let everybody know that that was the case, we find it working itself out in one of the most horrific ways in 1 Corinthians 11 where we go to and we can read about the Lord's Supper. It had gotten so bad in that church, they were so grossly immature and they were so lost and absorbed in themselves, they would go to the Lord's table drunk and in a spiritual stupor to partake of the Lord's table. They were doing it wrong. Paul had to refocus them on for the common good and the unity of the body. The common good and the unity of the body. Otherwise, the church there wouldn't survive. In other words, he was pastoring his flock. He was being the shepherd he was called to be for these people. As painful as it was for him to say these things. But then he goes on in verses 4 through 7 in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. That entire verse speaks of the unity of the Godhead, who we are to grow up into in Christ. Who we are to grow up into in Christ. Then and only then, all of these gifts that have been poured out upon you will function appropriately for the building up of the body of believers. Unity. Unity. It's not that one is more important than the other, Paul has to tell them. But maturity comes when proper application of and balance for the edification of all the saints within the congregation. For all of the saints. That's hard work. It's very hard work because when we are immature, and I can be immature, Lisa is in the nursery today. Feel free to go ask her how much of a baby I act like sometimes. Feel free to do so. Okay? It's a difficult thing for us to work through. When we are immature, we are not united. We are not unified. When we are not unified, we are not operating in love. And when we are not operating in love, we are losing the primary driver for each and every one of us and how it is we are to grow up in Christ. This leads to number two, not being tossed about by every teaching and wind of doctrine. And we're getting very close to out of time, which is about what I thought. So we're going to just look at this for a couple minutes. All of this teaching and discipleship that Paul spent his life doing and mentoring to the Timothys, the Tituses, the Lukes, the Marks, the Silases, we keep going and going and going. All of his life doing all of this mentoring and pouring into these men's lives. It was to ensure that that type of immaturity wouldn't happen. That the teaching, the solid gospel teaching of what it means to be a healthy church would be passed on to the next generation. It's hard work, he would tell Timothy. But to this task you were called. To this task you were called. Mansfield Country Store, it's a town over from Foxborough, one town over. It's a beautiful old place, and it had one of those old-fashioned candy counters, if any of you are old enough to remember, when it, five cents was the most expensive piece of candy. Five cents. Now, for me, that's pretty cheap, okay? But five cents was the most expensive piece. And when my kids were little and we go down to Foxborough to visit my mom, we'd always travel over to Mansfield Country Store, and each one of them would get a dollar. And they could go up to that candy counter and they could pick whatever they wanted. Once the dollar was done, they got a bag full of candy. It was a dollar. 
That was it. Now, that was when you could get a bag full of candy for a dollar. Okay, now you get like a snicker bar, right? I don't know. Okay, not even that. All right. Now, my girls were great. They go up to that counter, man, they knew what they wanted. I want three of those, I want six of those, I want five of those, I want this. Jonathan, my oldest boy, I am convinced at this point that if Lisa and I did not motivate that boy along his way to pick something out in that candy counter, we'd still be standing there today wondering if he wanted a pickle. He could not make up his mind because everything was in front of him. And it all looked so good and he didn't know what was the right thing to choose. He just couldn't do it. Back and forth, back and forth. I want this. That looks good. What is that? Infantile. Not in an insulting way, just infantile. I'm not sure what I want. Immature. Indecisive and wanting to try every single thing, thinking that each one was best. But I've only got a dollar. You see, that leads always to indecisiveness and confusion, doesn't it? So there he is standing in the store going, okay, mom and dad are going to leave me. They're going to go back to Vermont. and I'm going to have to pick something at some point. No. We step in and we help him choose. You see, the Corinthian church was ready to get to work. Had all kinds of things in front of them. Had all the gifts laid out in front of them, as it were. But they were acting like kids at a candy counter. They were acting like kids at a candy counter. All kinds of good things laid out in front of them with no idea what to choose or what to do with them in order that the blessing would go forward the way it was supposed to. So it just became chaos. Maturity is a very hard thing us to master in life two things I have noticed there are people who grow old every one of us but not all of us grow up and in the world that we live in in this day and age to quote C.S. Lewis we have a world full of boys with beards and men without chests because they have grown old but they have not grown up maturity is a very difficult thing to master in life most especially when we struggle to get our own way. When we want to prove our own point. And here's the kicker. When I have to die to myself, that is the most difficult thing to do. When I want what I want, now, maybe none of you are this way. So God bless you. I, on the other hand, I'm a broken clay pot, or I said I was going to use this. I'm a crack pot. I think that's wonderful. We're all just a bunch of crackpots trying to get along in life. And there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, the reality is is that God, as the potter, works with that clay. If I can go to him and say, okay, Lord, this is a painful thing. I don't want to die to myself, but I know that in order for me to grow up and be everything you want me to be, I've got to. I've got to put aside this stuff. And I've got to step into what it is you're trying to conform me to which is the image of your son, Jesus. Maturity is very hard. Paul here in this letter to the Ephesians and everywhere else writes, he drives us to the story of God and the clear teaching of Scripture as our all-sufficient source on how to behave. If we're going pear-shaped on a given day, go back to your Bible and ask yourself, not what sister so-and-so is doing to rub you the wrong way. Starting in the wrong spot. Perhaps they are. Go here and say, okay, Lord, where am I in the midst of this? Help me to grow. If it needs to challenge somebody, okay. If it needs to ask for forgiveness, okay. If I need to die to myself, okay. But where am I in all of that? 
have to be careful not to be tossed about with every wind of change. I leave you with this little story. And again, I say I share my stories with you because I have to ask forgiveness if I share yours. The Bible calls that gossip and we just can't have that going on. But I can freely share mine and embarrass my children because I've earned the right. When they were little, and you know my email, it's on the bulletin, okay? So if you're concerned with my parenting skills, just remember they didn't die. My girls had runny noses as little kids, okay? And this is my personality. You probably don't see it, but I tell them that their runny noses came about because of the brain lubricant trolls. The brain lubricant trolls. What would happen is that they would come in the middle of the night where they were sleeping and they would overfill the lubricant hole in their head. And, and, and they would look at me and they're like, what? Where's that hole? And I'd say, it's right back here. It's right back here. You can't see it. But you see, the problem is, is when they put too much of that brain lubricant in, it's got to go somewhere. So it runs out your nose. Now go get a tissue and blow your nose. I share that with you mostly because I can. (laughs) They're still alive. They're none the worse for the wear. But my point in all of that as we come to a close is this. Why did my girls believe such silliness? So let's make it simple. And it's complicated enough. Well, let's make it simple. Why do they believe that silliness? Because they were immature. Just like my boy at the candy counter with all of the things in front of them. They didn't know whether that was good teaching or not. They didn't know at that point that their dad was a half a bubble off center. They know it now. But they didn't then. They trusted me. And so that story kind of it got a lot of traction for a lot of years. They believed what I told them. Now, we were just goofing around. And again, you know, you know my email. They didn't die. We're okay. But this is what Paul is getting at in verse 14 when he says that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and deceitful and craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's a critical piece of scripture for us especially given the times that we find ourselves in. I want you to dwell on that this particular week. Having proper behavior toward one another creates maturity. This does good, sound biblical teaching about doctrine. That creates maturity as well. We can't keep thinking the way that we do, taking on a passage and trying to find somebody that says what we like, and then that becomes our opinion. I don't get into this pulpit on Sunday morning and give you my opinion. I have a lot of opinions. Most of them aren't worth the light of day. But I don't take this pulpit and give you my opinion. A lot of work, a lot of prayer, a lot of study goes into taking a looking at these texts and saying, okay, Lord, what does this congregation need? What do I need? I'm not looking for a book that tickles my ear, that says what I want it to say. I'm looking for what I need. And then what I need to share with you in order that we can all grow into maturity so that we can understand what we're taught. And I go on for that, but we have that for next week. If I could have the worship team come up and those who are on the prayer team, because um, I've you know, gone way over my time, but that's all right. I want to leave you with this thought as we close in a couple of songs. Again, I would encourage you ladies, if you want to sign up for the retreat, the sign-up sheet is down, and I'm a walking billboard. Um, the sign-up sheet is down in the cafe. 
and whatnot, I would encourage you to do that. But more importantly, and most importantly, please don't leave the worship center here if you need prayer. Okay? Because I want to I leave you with this. Paul tells us that God calls us to holiness in our personal walk with him, as well as with our relationships with others. I want to say that again. Paul tells us that God calls us to holiness in our personal walk with him, as well as with our relationship with others. Our happiness is not God's primary concern. Our holiness is. Now, our happiness in life comes when we discover that our holiness is what drives our happiness. We are most happy when we are walking in the holiness of God. Not in the way we want. Being conformed to Christ eliminates my needs and my desires to try to be like somebody else. It eliminates my needs and desires to constantly try and please everybody around me. I would encourage you to let the Lord speak that into your heart. It's part of the problem that we have. Please Jesus. Please those closest to you second. And then work from there. The Bible doesn't say for no reason that if we are walking in the way that God calls us to, even our enemies will be at peace with us. Maturity is hard, I know. Let's stand. Maturity is very hard. It is for me. As you can tell by my stories, I have a hard time with it. But it is to that that we are called. And we have been knit together for that purpose. Encourage one another this week. Be kind to one another this week. Love one another this week. Pray for one another this week. As we seek to grow up into the head is Christ. Lord. Jake. Come out of sadness from wherever you do. Come broken hearted and rescue begin. Come find your mercy sinner come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow Lay down your burden.